bit trippy because there's like a delay in your speaking. Yeah. The, your lips aren't matching up with your. Really? Yeah. It's like. Yeah. Okay. Count to three and I'll tell you what number it was when I hear you. One, two, three. It's closer that time. The one and the two. Yeah. All right. Don't look at my face too hard and you should be fine. <laughs> I'm really mad that everything That's was all good. And then Patrick, okay. Patrick got online and just ruined everything. Dang it, Patrick. I will go ahead and take credit for this and uh, and roll with credit. it because that's what credit. I do. Credit. That's right. I'll take, take credit for it. So ready. Oh, God. Patrick. The lips. OK, ready. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Well Seasoned, the podcast. <laughs> I am Technical Difficulties. Hi, and I'm Patrick. <laughs> Technical difficulties in the year of 2020 and 2021 are as contagious as... <laughs> they're very contagious. Technical difficulties are contagious. Yes, yes. That was awkward. Moving on. <laughs> uh, Patrick, would you like to introduce our guest? Absolutely. I would like to introduce today a good friend of mine, Erin Branham. She is the president and CEO of A2 Events. Erin? Hi, I'm so glad that you asked me to join. It's nice to be here with you. Thank you. On your graphics, can I get like a seasoned salt or something? You get to be salt and pepper. Could I be like sriracha? I don't know. I don't like spicy food. You got to come garlic powder. Okay. Something non-spicy is what we're going for here. Okay. I mean, I am a spicy humans. Like I've got a lot of opinions coming out all the time. So maybe (laughs) (laughs) you deal with it outside, just not inside. Well, thank you for joining us. And I guess before we even get started, do you want to tell people a little bit about you and A2 Events? Sure. So A2 Events is a boutique DMC based in South Florida. We're in Fort Lauderdale. We are boutique because we're small but mighty is what we like to say. Literally, I am a tiny human being. So similar to that. But we have been around for about six or seven years. And I started the company because I had left a job doing large scale events for a nonprofit. And It's just kind of grown organically. COVID has been an interesting journey for us, but I will say it's really nice to, our entire team is intact. We didn't have to let anybody go. Mm. We've definitely done some weird pivoting of like, we pack boxes for people for their hybrid events and do all kinds of stuff, but we're making it work and we are seeing an uptick. So I'm excited about that. But yeah, we're a GMC based in South Florida. We start with event production primarily. And I am the founder and president and like, you know, the chief coffee maker and whatever. (laughs) I'm usually on site, like in, you know, scrubby clothes. And I change real quick before the clients get there so that I can also be the face. But it's funny. Yep. Yep. So when we came up with today's episode for our listeners, when Stacey and I started talking about it, I immediately thought in my head, Aaron is the perfect person to be on today's episode. We're going to be discussing designing an experience that enhances and supports the event's messaging. So the overall event messaging. I thought about you, Aaron, specifically, because we've worked together on a few different projects. And I think that your company and and you specifically are a very creative person that puts details into every little thing. And they support the overall messaging of the event, the overall theme of the event, and they get to the heart of what the event is. And we'll talk a little bit about some of those, but I mean, specifically down to 
One event that I did with Aaron was for a major cruise line that did not believe in plastic. So at the event, they could not use any non-reusable plastic anything. So you couldn't show up with shrink wrap on anything if you were a vendor wrapping your chairs, straws, anything like that. So she had to come up with creative and unique ways to get around all of that because that was that company's heart and soul. So even on the back end, it could not exist. So I guess specifically, why don't you tell us a little bit about that particular event and how you went through that and and also the fun theme if you want to touch on that. Yeah, there so much fun. It's Virgin Voyages. I don't mind saying who my friends are. I wasn't going to throw your people out there, but you can. That's that's your prerogative. <laughs> They're really okay with us. Like we've worked with them since it was just their CEO and parties for their staff at his house. And it's not Richard Branson's house. It's Tom's house. Mm-hmm. Very nice. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so we've had a really long-term relationship. And I would say more than just the plastic products for them, they're a really fun company to work with because everything they do is disruptive and they've been really inspirational for us because we've gotten to watch them grow and to see the choices that they were making about their brand and how it has continued to manifest itself through not just their events, but their ship and all of their office space and everything that they kind of do. And we just did a groundbreaking for them. And I would say that was one of the best examples that I have of the contrast of what brand means to some people versus what it means to other people. The port and the city and everything are obviously, everybody knows what the port of Miami is. Everybody knows what the city of Miami, the mayor that was there and all that. But their version of branding is a much more corporate stiff version because that's kind of what they are. You know, like they're a more formal company or organization. They're not even a you know, nonprofit, whatever. Um, they are, so logo placement is important to somebody like that. A lot of our clients are not as worried about logo placement anymore. When they're more in that creative zone, they're more worried about like, how does our brand become like manifest in a physical sense at this event? The music has to be right. The atmosphere has to be right. And we were standing there talking about it. And the press person for Virgin was saying, got to get the logos right for them. And I was like, but for you guys, I don't even think you always use logos. And she was like, so I'm at this, but honestly, this dirt patch has to become, you know, more. And I was like, oh yeah, because... For you, the brand is so much bigger than logo. You know, it's a groundbreaking. So you're at the airport, they were, and it's a dirt patch, literally. They're shoveling the dirt. So we took chairs, the port had folding chairs, and we're like, no, we really need to rent something nice. So we did chairs that were cute. We did some swinging hammocks. We did a huge plant package. We had a mermaid there, you know, stuff like that, that just created that vibe and that idea of what it's going to be like when that is not dirt and sand anymore. So that was really fun to work with them. And again, plastic products are big. It's very hard to execute. And there definitely are some times where we literally can't change that something shrink wrapped or whatever. But at least we're very careful to make sure that there's nothing public facing that would have that issue, that they're not looking bad, that we are going behind the scenes and finding every way possible around any plastic products that aren't reusable to the point where we actually bring staff people our branded cups from our company on site that are the A2 cups and they're plastic, but they're reusable. So that's okay. So we have to bring every single like Patrick's entire team got A2 cups that day. You know, every catering person, every delivery person, we just want to make sure that there's no issues for them that they don't have, that they know we've done everything possible to honor that portion of their brand. What's really great about what you're saying is so many people designing events get caught up in 
whatever the newest trend is in an event. So for a long time, we were seeing slider stations everywhere and comfort food stations everywhere. And that's where they were going. But what does that actually mean to your company and to your event? So in planning those events, how much do you have to fight people (laughs) and saying, okay, listen, I understand that you really love the fact that people are putting flaming hot Cheetos on everything, but what does that actually mean to you? How do you really get into that conversation? We start our conversations typically with what are your goals for this? What are you trying to accomplish? And we'll throw out some ideas as we kind of talk. A lot of times that we really go back to the drawing board on everybody and say, okay, what'd you do last time? I'm not going to throw away your history or your theme or your idea or whatever, but we try to explain to them how to take next steps rather than throwing away their thoughts and ideas. It's more about challenging them to just take one more step, you know, one step further than they might've. For when we work with like financial institutions, that can be really tricky because we are kind of out of the box. Like we've done ball pits and video mapping of a mansion. And like, I say weird because literally sometimes it's super out of the box and we have a reputation for that. But I think also it was intentional for those companies and it's not the right fit. At Bond Traders Conference, we're not going to put a ball pit at their conference. Like that doesn't make sense. So a lot of times with an organization in healthcare or finance, we just ask them, to think about changing something a little bit. Like, let me flip your ballroom for the evening and make it nice instead of you having like the house chairs and whatever. For them also, I think charitable givebacks is where we usually ask them to take their first step out of the box because they are willing to risk a little bit more in that sense. And they do tend to have the funds to do so. So if there's some kind of partnership that we can make with the charity that's tangible, we do that. But even if it's just asking them, to instead of giving away swag items at check-in to make a charitable donation instead, that's gone over really, really well. And again, it's just about understanding like, what are you trying to accomplish here? And why would I give that same, everybody has a mug, everybody has a pen, everybody has this and swag has a good place. But if it's not a convention, maybe just go ahead. If it's a conference where it's a smaller group, maybe just go ahead and say like, let's give it back, you know, and have that charity rep there and get a great picture that we send to everybody afterwards of the charity rep with everyone. So that's worked out really well too. The swag thing, especially now, I feel that everyone just goes to the same two or three swags. I mean, if I get another face mask, another one of those (laughs) key hook things where you open the doors. I told you that was going to be the giveaway of the pandemic was going to be. Yeah. And you're getting it from everyone and you're kind of like, this has nothing to do with anything. Yeah. Listen, three months into the pandemic, give me all your face masks and hand sanitizers because no one is getting it. Right. At this point, people have learned how to crochet specialty floral face masks (laughs) to match every single outfit. I don't want another one. And it's really hard. And I think that that's something where companies have to look at how the event design really can be profitable in their event. Like how does it actually return back to the ROI? Yeah. It's just a struggle. And sometimes you have to fight with people to say, you do need to spend more than $5 on this if you want to see an ROI on it. Yeah. You said, what does that have to do with your company? Right. Like I get it at the beginning, like you said, but at this point, why are you giving that out? Is it a convention? Is it a hybrid event where you're sending your people something? Is it a conference? Like, what is the setting that this is happening in? So maybe you have a standard item that's a face mask right now where normally it would be a pen. Mm-hmm. But why would you give that to your own employees? Yeah. They don't need your pen. They don't need your face mask then. No comment. My thought process on giveaways, and we kind of 
diverted into this, but that, that's a good thing. <laughs> when we look to do giveaways from our company, it has to be reflective of our brand, of who we are. And it also needs to be something that's realistic that people would want to take and want to use because the more that they use it, the more that they see our name in front of them constantly. Yeah. So that's our thought process there. Ours tend to be a little bit techy or tech driven or travel related just because of what we do. But it always frustrates me when you see a brand doing a giveaway that either cheapens the brand that it's mm-hmm. representing or doesn't reflect it at all. And it doesn't make any yeah. sense. Low hanging fruit there. Yeah. And taking a step back to your first story, one of the things that I really do love about that as well is that you also lived up to the company's mission in reusable items. And it just kind of shows your dedication to the client. And yes, some of those things probably were standard, like you can't bring plastic on or you can't do this. But there are companies that might have pushed back and been like, well, if you expect me to do this, then you need to pay me this. Or if you expect me to do that. So it shows your partnership with the customer and that you're not just here to execute this one-off event and keep it moving. It's, you know what, we're all breathing and living the same mission while we're here executing this event. So it's just a continuation of that brand. When you talk about brand, it's about their ethos as a company. And so it's just like being good friends with somebody or, you know, married to somebody, you want to understand who they are so that you can honor that and partner in alongside them and keep going. So it's similar. I mean, obviously I don't want to be married to my clients. That's why I started my own company and don't work in house for somebody, <laughs> but it's important for me to be able to switch that. But we learn so much from some of these clients too, you know, best practices on what they're doing, help us to understand how to work better as a company. When you work with the creative firms, you know, some of them, we get to learn from their design, from their ships or whatever. And then we work with a retail brand too. It's super fun to watch what their like mission is and how that plays out even in their price point on their products and stuff like that. And then we also from finance stuff, I've learned so much about economics and bonds and stocks and whatever. You could listen more sometimes to those ones because when they do conferences, apparently last year I missed it, but the chief economist that spoke at a conference in February that we did of 2020 predicted that coronavirus was going to change the world. And I was like, didn't even hear that. Would have been really good to know. (laughs) (laughs) I say that all the time. I always tell our team, especially our executive team, when we're at these conferences and everything, you know what, we're in the room and sometimes we take for granted all of the great speakers that we have seen and heard from. Just the other day, Stacey, on one of the shows that we did with you virtually, I was taking notes from one of your presenters who had some great Mm. generic thoughts and things that I could take in and put in my pocket. So absolutely, I feel like as a supplier, if you're in a supplier position to where you have the opportunity to be in the ballroom, to, to listen, even if you're you know a hotelier and you sold the property and hey, look, you know, they have a great speaker for their keynote showing up. And you need to be present anyway to show face. Stay in there and listen. I find too much that the hotel salespeople out there listening. Sell the (laughs) space, you show up for the cocktail, whatever, and then you leave there. You know what? Stick around a little bit more. Hear what these people are saying. You might have some takeaways too. You never know. Yeah. And I know that it's all about time, but at the same time, it's not wasting your time if you're showing face with the client. That's a belief of mine. Yeah, there's definitely some sessions that I don't really need to hear about from the issuers of bonds what kind of price, Mm -hmm. you know, like milk. Sometimes it's actual commodities that they're talking about trends. I can buy milk, whether it's 
a dollar or five dollars. Like, so I don't, but it's interesting at like a yeah. base level. But when they get into super nitty gritty, obviously, that's when you sit in the pond booth and you do something else. Yeah, but, yeah that, that's yeah. what it's called. But like, for instance, I don't know anything or care anything about motorcycles. And I'm sorry if I offended anybody out there listening. I just, <laughs> motorcycles aren't my thing. I'm a mama's boy. So my mother would literally track me down and murder me if I got on a motorcycle. Mm-hmm. That's a side story. But at a conference just recently, there was a representative from Harley Davidson. And I was like, oh, okay, this is probably going to be one of those where I'm not really going to listen. But his story was so great. And what he was talking about was so great. I had a page of notes. That's so cool. I took away. So you never know. You never know where inspiration might hit. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, you kind of stepped on my next question. I'm going to give you a pass on that, Aaron, which is (laughs) in terms of your inspiration, because I know that's something that people really struggle with. They see one thing one time and now they think they need to replicate it a thousand times. And even I'll speak for my company, I introduced them to one thing and now it's this thing that has to happen for every single event. (laughs) Where do you find your inspiration? How do you do that? So you said it's mostly from other events and whatnot that you either see or hear. First of all, I think as a team, we do a lot of, to the point where sometimes I think it annoys everybody in the evenings when it's like back and forth texting, like, oh my gosh, did you see this? Did you see this new hotel that's opening? Did you see this fashion moment? There's a lot of camaraderie amongst our team in they want to, like, anytime we see something beautiful or cool or interesting or new, we share it with each other. And that's mm-hmm. more to like put a pin in it. And I even do that in the sense that like, I remember probably 10 years ago thinking not even like eight, probably right around when I started the company thinking, Oh, I love this whole video mapping thing that's starting. It's so cool. I wonder if I'll ever get to do that. Like I would love, love, love to do it. And I just put a pin in it and thought, okay, one day Aaron, you'll probably get to do that. Your clients are too small at that point. Didn't have the budget for it, obviously. And when we got to the point where we did a house party and there was this cool front of the house, we started talking about what we could do with it. And I don't remember who suggested it, but all of a sudden it was like, oh my gosh, yes. And it's more (laughs) all the time, expose yourself to design, expose yourself to different industries. And even like when we get a brand packet from one of our clients, I love reading through it because it's so cool to see how much goes into just, like I said, like a price point or or the way that on their identity, any of that, just how much thought has gone into what their colors are, you know? Um, so I really, really love that. Um, and then I think, yeah, just thinking about it as a book of ideas that you're constantly building rather than let me search for one specific idea. Then you go back to your book and you keep searching on top of that. I think when you, when you're talking to the client about like, okay, this specific event, I want to do it. When we walked with Patrick, we did the MPI, we sponsored MPI's, what is it? Awards? Is that what we're calling it? Yes. He had the venue all picked out and it was the DuPont building Miami. And we, I really am very visual too. So we have to like do a site visit. Otherwise when we're just yeah. like talking, I'm like, eh, I don't know. I'll think about it, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And also we took a high speed train because our attendees were going to be taking this yeah. train down. So we wanted to see the path of how to get there. Yes. So we took the train, went down, went to the train station, then got over to the venue. I'm sure I made sure we had cocktails. There were cocktails on the train. Yeah. Always. Yeah. <laughs> you were throwing Prosecco to everybody, if my memory serves me. Most that sounds about right. Yes, queen. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I, do that. I don't know why people let me out, but they do sometimes. But yeah, so we got there. I asked the venue manager, what's the best thing you've ever seen done here? And she was like, I've seen like really well done. I think it was like a Casino Royale theme. And I, I get it because the DuPont building is a bank building with a vault, old, cool architecture. Yeah, like 1900s, like turn of the yeah. century. 
And we know MPI doesn't have any budget for this. It was like, I don't know, I got like $500 basically to throw this thing. <laughs> when we're talking about low budget, I don't want to do what everybody else has already done. We want to think about something new because then I can't, I can't replicate something as well. So how do I do something that's different and not unexpected so that we can execute it well without people's like projections onto what it should be basically. So we ended up looking back through our pictures for a few minutes and we were talking about, we wanted to make it um, like still play on the vault somehow. So we made it, we decided to go with the secret soiree as our theme, kind of like a secret garden look with a key, you know, so that you get that it's this bank vault, but they have beautiful gates on the entranceway that have like vines going up. And so we tried to use that idea of like vines and florals. So Patrick got installed as the president and I put flowers on everything. (laughs) (laughs) It was very florally. I even wore a floral tie. It was great. (laughs) So what I'm hearing is for an idea for our listeners really is your inspiration is everywhere. You said fashion, you said floral, you said, you know, asking hotels what they've done before. If you wanted to replicate that yourself, it could be something as you're getting magazines and you saw this great model and you like the clothing or they did something different with ruffles. How can you install ruffles at your event? Yeah. And I don't do it Pinterest, but like we just kind of save the ideas. I mean, if you wanted to create a Pinterest board, you can do that. If you're working internally and you have a team on, you know, Microsoft Teams, maybe you create a team of just design ideas and everyone can upload all their just random design ideas that they like. For one of my last events, Uh, so sad. It was like one of my last in-person events. (laughs) I had seen this picture and it's done all the time, but my company hadn't done it. And it was just like beautiful, tall vases Mm -hmm. of flowers so that instead of having this low centerpiece where people can't see to talk around you or talk to you, it's a skinny centerpiece with just beautiful like feathers and flowers at the top. So you could talk past each other. And I did a lot of tall ones. And then I did Instead of centerpieces that were regular, I did like low flower runners across, right? What? But I just gotten this random inspiration from a wedding magazine that I had seen. And I was like, that looks like a perfect gala thing to me, you know? And it was one of those things that people saw and they thought it was the most amazing thing. And I'm like, it was from a wedding magazine, but awesome. they don't care about that. Take it was that. a great experience for them. So Take that inspiration. Yeah. Yeah. Take that inspiration wherever you get it. Also, like we've been saying, find the right match for it, right? <laughs> like I would not do this for a child's first birthday party, yeah. <laughs> you know, unless I've done some of those and that's a whole nother thing. It's, it's never about the child at that point. On year one, it's like parents and family and after yeah. the kids. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> one of the things that I believe that Erin and her team do, and I know that our, our team, we've done this. We keep stock books of ideas. We take ideas and then we go through them and we refresh it every so often, mm-hmm. but we're constantly adding to it. Sometimes we're taking away the older, done, whatever ideas, you know, constantly. And in in ours, we just have an ongoing PowerPoint file that just is in a share drive that we can all get to that's a bunch of ideas. So when we're throwing a proposal together, let me copy and paste this slide, this slide, this slide, because that might be an add-on. You know, when we're proposing out, some of our clients love it, some of our clients hate it, but we don't do the traditional line item quotes. Ours are very robust looking and we're selling more the idea of the event as a total and less about individual items. So we try to give a whole vision and here's a vision and here's a cost. And then here are some potential add-ons that we think would bring value. We come up with those based on what Aaron started this conversation with, which I think is absolutely genius. And if you're out there and you're not asking these questions, then you need to take another look at that. 
But she said at the beginning, when you have those initial conversations with your client, because all too often we all get those just generic RFPs, whatever. And I know for hoteliers out there, you guys are filling out RFPs and just having to shoot those back out. So that's a little bit different. But if you're in a company like mine or a production team or, or whatever, a, a DMC, think about what are the, the overall goals of the conference or the event? What are the objectives? What are the takeaways? Again, Aaron mentioned it also. Don't be afraid to ask for examples or photos of themes, past themes or past looks that they've done. I had one company that did not want to give us past themes and everything. And we spent hours and days on renderings of multiple sets and everything. And two of the sets were identical to what they have done before in the past. We had no idea. We didn't know that they had done that because they didn't share that with us. So then we were burning time on that. So you want to ask for those things, ask for all those ideas. And then based on that, and for planners out there, if you're not sharing that information also on you guys, maybe you want to add that because then these potential vendors might also have other ideas to enhance the event or do something different. And also it doesn't necessarily always have to break the bank. And Aaron, I'm getting to one of your next events, which might be my favorite of your events. It was one of the lower budget events that you did, but it didn't look or feel that way. This again goes back to a Virgin Cruise Line event where yeah. they, they were on a budget and she had an empty warehouse, a shell. We were setting up for another show. So she said, hey, you know, since you guys are setting this up, if we let you guys load in early, can you go ahead and load in that and reuse some of the equipment? But then in this random empty room, They didn't have a big budget, so they decided to do a prom theme, an under-the-sea prom theme, which if you've ever watched Back to the Future, that's the theme of the prom. She literally brought in a school bus, an entire school bus that we completely lit up, had all these like crazy black lights and all sorts of things on, and they completely decked it out. They brought in bleachers. People were sitting on the bleachers eating stuff to feel like an awkward prom. I mean, it was awesome. I mean, it was one of the weirdest, most bizarre but totally worked. And for that particular group, because she knows that group so well, they are very out of the box. And the more out of the box they are, the more they love it. You just brought up the fact that I don't watch old movies and I need to do that. (laughs) Well, they're okay with like grungy too. So we knew we could do that. But yes, we knew they wanted to do a different theme. They wanted a Gatsby theme. And I was like, "Mm, okay. And then we built that all up for them. And I was like, everybody's done this though. And when we talked to the internal planner, she started saying, you know, I wanted to do this 80s, like, prom, like under the sea kind of idea. And she was like, do you understand what I'm saying? Like we would literally throw a prom for our people and have prom king and queen, even though it's a holiday party. I was like, oh, I get it. Why aren't we doing that? We should be. And then I really pushed them to use the venue that I knew Patrick was already doing something at. I said, well, we can combine this and then we're going to really maximize your budget right now because you're going to get a deal on all of the lighting. It was a win-win-win for everybody. Patrick saved you, Steve. And then, like, Patrick got to load in early. It wasn't a rushed load in. You know, the owner of the venue was much more willing to give a good deal to everybody. You know, so it just, everybody felt happy. There was no conflict in dates and stuff. So it worked out. does not always work out, obviously. It does not always, but yeah. Patrick, you were saying add-ons. And one of the things that I think in design, too, it's not just, like, your floral centerpieces. Those are super important. But it's every detail. And as we go, I always do like an initial brainstorm. We try to ask good questions. I think a lot of times when we bid on things and we don't win them, if we've bothered to bid, we think that we have a good fit with the client. But if we've bothered to bid and we don't win the business, I go back and I'm like, we didn't ask enough questions. You know, like we didn't do a good job of fact finding on the front end. And it's our fault because we could have designed something better that they liked more, but we didn't have the right information basically. But then also when you said add-ons, when you do a the fact finding and then brainstorm. And then in your process, as you keep going forward and you're like 
doing the details of the event, you want to make sure it translates into every detail, but you also want to keep asking, is it enough? And then edit. And then do we need to add? And then ebbing forward and then pulling yourself back a little bit and saying, okay, we have to edit this because it doesn't fit with the initial concept and the like ethos of what we're trying to do. But we also don't ever want to like not ask, should we be doing more? Like, should we add something, whatever? So it's definitely that give and take all the time as you're designing. We've talked about this so many times. It's ridiculous, but ask the questions and get to know your clients. What Patrick and you both were saying, ask the venues, what have they done before that works? You have to speak. And this is kind of that networking thing that we were talking about in many episodes where we say it's part of the relationship building. When you're asking those questions, yeah, you're doing it for the proposal and to make sure you put your best foot forward, but it's also getting to know that person, that company even better. So now you're going to connect even more with what they need and what they have and have not done before. And another thing too is with sharing past information, people can be so close to the chest with that. Like they don't want to share anything and they don't realize what a detriment that it is to them because now you're upset because you're getting the same ideas over and over, but you never told them that you executed that two or three times before. Yep. It's great for what we're saying now with these proposals, but it's great life advice as well. You know, sometimes we don't care to share anything with people and then we're all pissed off and mad because they don't know us. Well, you never shared that with them, right? So I think that's just, it's so important. And it's one of those things that I do. I have no problem. I might take off costs, but I have no problem sharing previous proposals to say, here's line by line what we did before that worked. I took a picture of this event. Here's what I really liked before that worked. Even yep. one of my new favorite things, which is so not new, but it's it's new for my company, is instead of doing crescent rounds, we do U-shaped boardroom type setups in the room so that no one has a chance of having their back to everyone. Everyone is looking forward. Mm-hmm. It's just so slightly different from the usual general session roundtable conference setup when you have a minimal budget that it does help kind of stimulate people's mind because you're walking into a different room. That's not what they expected. But I learned that from literally asking a hotel, what have they done that's different? I'm tired of seeing new shapes, but share the information. You're not losing anything. (laughs) No one's going to take your job. The best idea in the room wins to me too. You know, it doesn't need to be mine. If you came up with it, if I came up with it, half the time, I can't even remember who came up with it. It's not usually mine, to be honest. Mm -hmm. I don't really care as long as at the end of the day, we're implementing something that's great. And that matters so much more than like any territory or anything like that. And I also am really free with, we'll put our work up on Instagram. I agree with you. I won't send pricing to people, but I'm happy to share. And we did this before we did that before. I never want to repeat the same thing, but I do want to say like, yeah, let's all collaborate. There's plenty of inspiration out there. It could be mine or it could be somebody else's. It doesn't matter. You know, so Mm -hmm. also like putting your ego aside a little bit on this. Yeah. I like what you said about the room design. That's super important too. We actually did the opposite for a client a long time ago because they were always doing a you within a you setup. They had done it for like, I don't know, like 20 years. And when I pushed them on it, they were like, well, we just think that it's how people are talking. Like they're, we need to be able to talk to each other. And they kind of explained why. And I said, well, but I think your group has gotten much bigger. And when you started doing that, it made sense. But now your group is too big and you're paying for everybody to have a microphone at their seat. When you could put them at crescent rounds and sit in the room 
in a smaller space, you'll have more options hotel wise because we can put you at different hotels. And it just made sense all of a sudden. They were like, oh yeah, we started that when it was like 25 people and we're at a hundred now. I want to switch gears right now and talk with you on the same topic about designing these experiences to enhance and support the event and talk about your proposal process, because I have seen some of your proposals, Erin, <laughs> some that you may think that I've seen and some that you may not know that I've seen of yours, especially the lumberjack one is one of my favorites, by the way, the gamping proposal. She gets to bid on some pretty fun events uh, there, Stacy. This is one that I should have done better fact finding on because yeah. we heard we want something new and unique. And so we were like, okay, new and unique. We got it. We know how to do that. And I should have said, could I see some past pictures? Because what we showed them was so far out of their realm of norm because they are doing much more like there's, they did a Havana Nights theme before that's done a lot in South Florida, obviously. And they had done like, when I saw pictures, it was pretty much all round tables and we were doing like things hanging from the ceiling and tents in the room. Oh my gosh. I bid on a lumberjack event for the Intrepid Museum on an aircraft carrier. Yeah. That was different. We didn't get it. But much like you, I probably should have asked more questions. This event that she's talking about isn't necessarily for lumberjacks. It was just a yeah. gamping theme yeah. for a group that has nothing to do with that. But I thought the proposal was great. So I don't want to get into the fact that that group wasn't necessarily the right group for that. But, but I want to talk more about when you're sending your proposals. And again, hoteliers that are just replying to the RPs that are coming in electronically, this doesn't really go to what you guys are looking for as much as production companies, DMCs, things like that. Tell us a little bit about when you send some of these big proposals that you put out and some of the things that you guys are kind of putting into it, which I think are cool when you send the sensory boxes. So we have gone through many versions of what our proposals looked like, starting with a Google Doc was the original form. <laughs> and we now have found a great system that we use internally called Planning Pod. And I absolutely happy to share this as a tip too. Use planning pod if you can. If it fits for you, it's great. It's inexpensive. It allows us to do, you know, our internal notes and stuff, as well as share with proposals with clients, collect payments, and take the proposal and turn it directly into an invoice. And then I can pull my reports directly from that too. So it's great. It goes from A to Z basically for us. I do think it has some capacity for like seating charts and stuff, but it is not picture focused. It does have a little picture you can put by each line item. So for us, like I said, we started with a Google Doc and we would always put a price list at the end. So this has become basically our price list format of it. And for some proposals, you don't need an accompanying presentation, but we now create an accompanying presentation typically that's uh, visual, but we realize there's still some senses miss missing out and we really want our clients to understand what we're trying to show them. So for the glamping one, and we did two side-by-side themes that they could choose from. We did the glamping idea and we sent them a sticker that was a camp badge so that they could see like, we're going to like really take your, your people to camp for the weekend is the idea. Like we're going to do fun activities that have to do with it, whatever. So we sent them like a cedar scented candle all in a box together, cedar scented candle, marshmallow, like s'more kit and forget what else, but basically all in this little kit. And then we also did one that was about like, uh, I think it was called the future is bright. We created a logo for that for them. That was like just a silly logo so that they could kind of understand that we were going to really do everything again. Every detail was going to have to do with it. And we sent bright colored gumballs and we did like sunglasses or something that were neon, like, you know, things like that, that fit with it. But the idea was the sensory box so that the proposal was on a USB within it. And we also emailed it. Um, 
And then you have all the accompanying, like we sent fabric swatches. We always try to include fabric swatches in those too, so that you can feel them. So can you imagine as a planner, you're putting out this RFP and then maybe you go to a few production companies or a few DMCs and you're starting to get them back and you ask for like five or six different companies or something. I know that's a lot, but you know, whatever, three, three companies and you get back two that are just, okay, here's a PDF in your inbox. And then you get this one <laughs> that shows up in your mailbox and it's an actual box and you sit down and you open it and you have the proposal there, but then you're also seeing the items from the event, like the swatches and the this and the that, that just has to make such an impact on people. Yeah, like we didn't win that bid because it was like, truly, I didn't ask enough questions. But we have a great relationship. We've done business after that with the client. And because they have a really formal bid process, we couldn't like go back to the drawing board when they were like, we loved how you presented. It wasn't right for us. They have a formal process. So we had to wait until the next round. But again, it was just so much more about we establish a relationship for the long run with them versus a transactional. And that's who we are. You know, like you said, swag, and it has to be reflective of your brand. That's who we are. We're relational. We have a 93% return rate of clients. I'm not out there fighting every day for new clients because they come back, you know? So I think that relational aspect to us is also shown through the fact that we'll do that extra stuff for them. And like it, we do that at events too. We say, okay they can't afford that dumb thing, that extra thing. Like, can we bring that price down? Can we take our margin out? Can we help them somehow so that we can add that? Cause it's important or bringing extra stuff. Like I know Patrick, you guys always have extra equipment on the truck. So you don't have to go back to the warehouse. It's the same idea for us. Have extra chargers, have an extra linen ready, you know, just make sure that there's not going to be a problem that you're ready to solve it. And that relationship is so important. So it is our like, you know, ethos and it comes through in our proposals. Listen, when you self-corrected from that dumb thing to something else, (laughs) that just made me think of all the times I do an event and I have to spend like $5,000 on that one dumb thing that one person wants. And you're like, do you know what I could have done with this $5,000 that I'm just, I can't, the pain, it's it's universal. It's real. And this isn't exactly what you guys are talking about, but that dumb thing in our world is always so funny because in our world, there's normally something um, that will get kicked out of a budget, right? Okay, hey, we need to get rid of this. And then, okay, you know, maybe that item in our world costs, you know, $3,000, $4,000 to add it, whatever. And we we cut it to get down to a budget. That's fine. You know, the the budgeting, it just couldn't get there. And then we always laugh about how there's such a strict budget on events with major clients until the day of the event. Once the CEO walks in, all of a sudden there's a magical new budget that shows up and the CEO's like, no, I need this. Well, that was in the budget, but we had to cut it out. Well, I need it today. Okay. Well, now I'm struggling last minute to get it for you. And now that item was 3000 or 4,000 is now 8,000. And it's like, no problem. I have to get it directed on an airplane tomorrow or whatever to get it here. My background yep. is in theater before coming to the events world. And there's a term in theater, um, deus ex machia, which is man from machine. And back in Shakespeare's day when they tried to end plays, a lot of Shakespeare's plays in this way, if anybody out there is a Shakespeare nerd. But there's always like this like person coming back from the dead or something to sum up the entire play. It's like there's a play going and then boom, there was like a hard end, like in Lost, like, hey, we have to end this by episode seven or whatever. And then the ending just doesn't make any sense. So it's like the same thing. It's like, yeah. you know, the, the man from machine, there's a miracle at the end. 
that just solves it. So in events, it's the same way. It's like right at the, in the end of the event, it's like, wait, now the CEO just wants to add this and we need it. And you're saying, let's get it here and get it here today and get it here now. That's I think crazy. That's what happens in like the social scene because the week before we try to tell our clients to like, okay, hey, you, if you want to cut it, that's fine. But I'm going to keep it in your optional add-ons so that you remember. And I'm going to let you know when our deadline to actually choose that is. And we try to remind them like, you sure you don't want to add that back on again? Like you did cut it, but we think it's kind of essential. So that they're not doing it. I mean, we did a warehouse party with you. We had to order an extra air conditioner at the 11th hour. Thank goodness I had to find air conditioning on the fly. Like one hour, give them one hour notice and they were there an hour later. It's pretty crazy. Speaking of inspiration, I saw the coolest show and we've totally used this idea. We went to London with our kids a few years ago and we saw Henry V in Regent's Park, I think it's called. Mm -hmm. They have an open air theater there. It was amazing has nothing to do with Shakespeare, but what we did get to see was that they had picnic tables set up everywhere and it was like gorgeous vines and this picnic aspect. So we've kind of, those ideas, like the experience, I think when you take in stuff, whether you're traveling or you're watching movies or you're buff or whatever, like trying to remember that experience and what made that you feel like that so that you can replicate it in your themes and your events and whatever. That's kind of part of the inspiration for me. It's travel for sure. I'm not super big on award shows, like watching them, but I have to be very familiar with what award shows are out there and what every one of those sets look like, because the following year, the following months, I will be asked for something from one of those sets to be included in something. So we use those as inspiration and a lot of our clients use them as inspiration. So I have to be cognizant of them. So I guess a step further of that is know the trends that your clients are also going to be seeing and make sure that you're aware of them and add them. So, so the things that you like, the things that give you inspiration, but also think about the things outside of you that you could foresee somebody asking you for and then trying to figure out, okay, how do I take this $2 million set and put it into a $20,000 budget and and try to figure out a way to replicate something. You really have to know your resources though, too, because you know, like we have um, in our brainstorms often, We have ideas that'll come up like this. Mine are from travel. A lot of times mats are from movies. And like, sometimes we go, that's awesome. But if you don't understand what you can do, like what your resources are in the local area to execute, you can't do anything. You know, like you have to know there's no vendors for that. So I'm going to have to have it fabricated. So where's the fab? Like, do I have somebody that is a set builder that's a, or a fabricator? I know you guys work in Puerto Rico all the time too, Patrick. I'm sure what you can source there is so much different from what you can here. 100%. And you have to ship it if not. And so do you have the budget for shipping? And- yeah. Even though we have our in-house down there and everything, I mean, everything's not down there and everything's not available, you know, yeah. from anybody on the island. So like LED walls, it's just has not to get either. flown down. So yeah. 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 But yeah. So I think that it's kind of that same idea of like brainstorm and edit and brainstorm and edit. It's also like no what you could do because you you can't show a client something without knowing how to do it, which I mean, for us, we have to put a price point on it. So unless I'm just making it up, you don't do, but I'm sure somebody out there does Then you've found where to source it from. But if you're, you don't want to waste your time either with like these crazy out there ideas that are literally unexecutable. Like if you're watching the MTV awards and, you know, or even like the Super Bowl when Lady Gaga dropped from the ceiling, she didn't really do that, obviously, but you can't drop somebody from the ceiling if you don't have the resources to do that or the way to fake it for TV, you know? 
I used to work for a marketing agency that it was like the sales team and then the operations team and the sales team Mm -hmm. would come up with these ideas. And then they would just like, like we literally sat in rows and just literally throw a piece of paper over behind us and be like, here you go. And it's like, how the hell do you expect me to do this? And so, yeah, you just kind of brought back really bad memories. I got a little bit of heartburn from that. Thank you. I appreciate you doing (laughs) that to me. Well, yeah. And you know, also our company doesn't have the traditional, um, and I talked to Val about this who works with me. We don't have the segregation of sales and ops because we don't think that that works for, I think it works really, really well when you're a big company and you're cranking out events and they're pretty similar to each one. And there, that is a need. I'm not dissing that for any second. It's just not who we are. I'm unapologetic about, we are not a factory. We have no interest in being that. We are not the big guy that if you need something that is, you know, a canned look, I don't have it. That's not for us. Mm -hmm. In Texas, we're wagon wheels. In Arizona, we're cactus. In Florida, we're palm trees. Like, yeah, yeah, canned, ready to go. Right. Like I said, there's a need for that. And it seems to have made many of those companies super successful. So I get why they would want to have sales and ops and sales and ops because you're basically doing the same thing again. When you're being really creative and you're doing something that's unique and fresh for each client, you really have to have the team like we do. Valerie usually takes a client or I take a client. Lily kind of brings them in the front door. Matt helps with everything and everybody gets in on the final execution. But we are running with that client the whole way through the program so that we make sure that, you know, and we have ops support as well. But that way we're not losing the initial vision um, and the, and the quality because you don't want to sell them something you can't do. And you also don't want to sell them something that then doesn't get executed. Well, basically. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. So before we leave, we have two questions. One, anything in the world, anything, what would you like to leave with our listeners? It could be anything from, I really love London. I recommend going here to, Here's a piece of advice for events. I would leave that, you know, the world has been very hard in 2020 and even into 2021, but, you know, keep your heads up and remember that there is light at the end of the tunnel and we're going to come out of this different and changed, but I hope for the better. So try to, you know, bloom where you're planted and keep, uh, you know, looking for that silver lining basically, because we've had to find ours and it wasn't so fun, but I think I'm going to be grateful that we went through this and then let's never do it again too. Please. Please, dear Lord. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. And where can people find you? And we'll put it in our show notes as well. Oh, good. So you can go to a2.events. It's the letter A, the number two, dot E-V-E-N-T-S. And do not add .com. You won't find this. If you go to a2events.com, I think it's a DJ in the Midwest and they're probably super nice, but they do like weddings. (laughs) It's like a a bride on the front. So a2.events and on Instagram, it's at a2events and we put a lot of stuff on Instagram. So Awesome. Well, thank you for giving us your time and dealing with Patrick's technical difficulties. Oh, please. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Aaron, and best to you and the team. And here's to a brighter 2021 for all of you guys. This is Paprika. What a great episode. I was so happy to have Erin no, with really us. was really good. I really, I learned a lot. She is a wealth of knowledge. And I really hope that you guys go and check out her Instagram page at A2, A2 events. events. 
uh, on, on the IG. A number two. Fantastic stuff. Fantastic stuff. But yeah, let's get into the paprika. Go ahead. What's your paprika? Okay. This is going to sound childish. This is going to sound silly. This is going to sound immature, but it's something that we have to talk very seriously about. How can you leave with all that and tell me you have to be serious? Dog farts. I'm sorry, what? Dog farts. Stacy, this is is not a laughing matter. (laughs) She has taken off her headphones. She is tearing up a little bit. She has no idea what's going on. She looks like he's choking. So I need to talk to you guys about dog farts. So I don't know what's up with my dog. I need to take her to the vet. But a few (laughs) days ago, she started with this horrific gas. And because I'm here at the house by myself while Paige and the kids are out during the day and I'm working, she sits under my desk. And I, I love her to death. But it's it's gotten bad. And we've we've switched up her diet. We stopped feeding her her dog food. Uh, we were trying to switch some things, giving her the bland chicken with the uh, rice and rice. Some, mm-hmm. some green beans, like those kind of things, trying to get her right. And she's gotten better, but it's it's still there. Trust me. Actually, at the beginning of the podcast, while we were recording with Aaron, there was one and I almost got knocked out. <laughs> but yesterday or two days ago, it was either yesterday or two days ago. I was on a board call with uh, w- with somebody for a board I'm on, and all of a sudden, there's an out loud rip in the room, <laughs> and I could see them. I was like, "Man, maybe they didn't hear it," but I could see them <laughs> laughing, laughing. So of course, I'm like, "Oh crap!" They just thought it was me. So. <laughs> So I had to tell them, and you know, I got the obvious, sure. So anyway, now I've had to, over the last day, I've had to preface all of my calls with friends, (laughs) (laughs) with, hey guys, my dog's sick, and she's letting out these cut-off farts, and if you hear something, that's what it is. This is a serious matter that our listeners at home need to understand. (laughs) Stacy's just lost her glasses. Her blue light glasses are down. Oh, gosh. I'm sorry, Patrick. (laughs) First of all. (laughs) Uh, Yes, Stacy. You're telling me your dog farted so loud, so loud. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That they heard it on the conference. Yes, they, it went through my microphone and it was heard around the Zoom call. And then. Oh, and then Paige, I could hear she got home. And so I'm texting her because I'm in this room and, and I had the door shut knowing that the kids are going to come home and I didn't want them to disturb the call I was on. So I text Paige. Hey, um, can you let the dog out because she's in this room with me? And you know, he's <laughs> Paige opens up the room and looked like she was about to pass out. She said after the call, it was the worst <laughs> she'd ever. Seen. <laughs> she came in after the call and she lysoled the room. There was like Febreze on every. I mean, it was it was intensive. It was intensive. Oh, so yo. 
Yeah. That is the only paprika for the week. I'm not topping that. That is that is how we're ending this. <laughs> With the fact that your dog played you so hard. <laughs> so listen, everybody out there, you need to be cognizant when you're on these Zoom calls about what people can hear. And if your dog's in the room, remember, they might do one and blame it on you. Because that's what happened to me. True What's story. What's great is when dogs fart too, and you're like, Yo, did he just fart? They kind of look at you like, and? <laughs> like, I heard you fart too. <laughs> what? Oh my God, I'm so done. I really am not topping that paprika. I'm sorry. It's the that's, only paprika okay. of the week. People need to understand that um, according to Patrick <laughs> and Savannah, it was Savannah that farted, not Patrick. Yes, very true. So loud that it came through on a microphone conference call. Yes. Like, I mean, usually dog farts are like. No, I have a 60 pound <laughs> boxer and even taking this a step further. So I looked up because I was like, man, this is bad. I took a step further and I was Googling which dogs have the worst you know, gas problems. And boxers showed up on the list, but there were some other little ones. But they were almost all dogs that had like the squishier faces. Like, oh, pugs, like pugs and whatnot. Yeah. yeah and oh, like Frenchies. And, yeah. one of my, and one of my friends that was on that call, who's dying laughing, said that she has a Frenchie and her Frenchie has bad gas too. And sometimes it can be heard on calls. So it's this is not an isolated problem to me, by the way. In case you didn't know, Patrick has a boxer. I have a boxer pit. I will tell you when my when I first got my dog, it was the air farts. I just got the toot and that was it. Yeah. Now I will say there are times when my dog farts like a grown ass man. And I'm yes, like, that's wait, what this was. Hold second. <laughs> Listen here, buddy. You do not pay mortgage. You can't be walking through the house this too now. I mean, sometimes she lets up the SBDs, but every once in a while, there's an air horn situation going on. Oh, that's horn. so great. <laughs> oh. okay. So thank you guys for joining us this, for this <laughs> episode. <laughs> Clearly, I'm the more mature one in this situation here. Yeah, you're the one who's still trying to to fix your reputation. You're hoping that the people on that conference call listens to this so they know it really wasn't you. (laughs) I can't. Well, thank you, Patrick. Nice seeing you. I hope that you have opened up some windows in your house because it didn't sound like a good situation. And rice and boiled chicken helps Savannah. So, yeah, yeah, good, 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 good talk. Good talk. Okay, thanks. Bye. All right. Bye, everybody. <laughs> Thank you guys for joining us for this week's episode. Remember to like, subscribe, follow, all the things. Do all the things. All of them. All the things. All of them. All the things. Oh, and don't forget to email us. Let us know what you like about the show. Tell us if you have any ideas for any upcoming uh, episodes that you guys want to hear about. We're open to hearing from you guys. Cool. Oh, happy Valentine's Day, Patrick. Happy Valentine's Day, listeners. Happy Black History Month. Because it's Black History Month. It's Black History. Sorry, you can't see my dance. I gotta go. Okay, thanks. Black History is our history. You better. Okay. All right. <laughs> Everybody. Okay, bye. Bye. Episode produced by Patrick Brochu and Stacey Ann Van Horn Doria. Sound editing by Rocky Doria. And song by Dr. Delight.
Hey, Stacy. Hey, Patrick. Did you see the Super Bowl halftime show? Absolutely not. The weekend? No. Oh, well, never mind. All right. I know that um, weekend wore jock straps on their head. Yeah, they totally look like jock straps. I can't. I can't. Listen, Thank guys, I'm a fan of the weekend. I know a lot about what he was doing and the reasons that he was looking like that and the behind the scenes on that. But they totally look like job straps. He looked like he went in the locker room, took some jock straps and put them on all of those people's faces. Oh, my God. But, I can't see that. But listen, I wanted to talk about the fact that he was blinded by the lights. Just a side note. You know that we have told the people about our glasses before, right? Oh, Rocky, cut this whole segment out. (laughs)